soon as there's music. Oh, there it is. There it comes. There it comes. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us. It's Tuesday, which means it's time to dive deep into a single topic. And today, we're all going to get smarter about the business of sports betting. With the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, it's almost certain that most of the people who will be legally betting, it will make this the most legally bet on sports event ever. And betting is, of course, a huge part of American professional sports, both legal and not. Uh, But we're going to talk about the legal side because there's plenty of that who really wins and loses uh, other than the House and what it might mean actually for the future of sports in this economy. Here to help us understand all of this is Danny Funt, editor at The Week magazine and freelance sports journalist. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So when those who choose to sit down and watch the Super Bowl this weekend, uh, assuming that they're not just watching for the ads, how much legal betting will be going on? So as far as legal betting goes, the estimate is over a billion dollars, which is, as you said, going to make it the most legally bet on sports event in U.S. history. Um, Betting is legal in 33 states and Washington, D.C., and uh, there's just enormous opportunities in so many of these states that, uh, yeah, it's going to shatter these records. What's the back of the envelope calculation for not legal betting on the Super Bowl? Any got any ideas? The American Gaming Association, the industry trade group, estimates 16 billion. So that counts mm-hmm. offshore betting, betting among your friends. Just mm-hmm. a staggering number. Hmm. No wonder people want to capture some mm-hmm. of that. Um, walk us through what placing a bet on one of these sporting events looks like? Well, how does it work, at least on the legal side? So the the big uh, area of growth and now the big majority of betting action is online. And that opens so many doors for these businesses to have bettors betting throughout games um, just constantly. That That's one of the, the hottest trends in the sector. But one of the... Th- Interesting things about the Super Bowl is on, in addition to betting on who's going to win, how many points are going to be scored, those sort of standard bets. There's uh, enormous opportunities to bet on just about every component of the game and some aspects outside of the game. So at BetMGM, for example, there are a thousand of these prop bets. How many yards is Patrick Mahomes going to throw? Um, at some other sports books, you could bet on how long is Chris Stapleton's national anthem going to last? Uh, what song will Rihanna start with at the halftime show? Basically, mm-hmm. every possible component of the Super Bowl uh, is now a betting opportunity. Isn't it true that not very long ago in this country, sports betting was illegal on a federal basis? And how did we get to where now it's legal in 30-whatever-it-is states? Right. So betting is as old as American professional sports. But as you said, uh, it had been outlawed for the most part outside of Nevada until 2018, when the Supreme Court said that a federal law that prohibited states from legalizing sports betting uh, violated state sovereignty. And that opened the floodgates for initially Delaware and New Jersey, and now 33 states to legalize betting. Interstate betting is still illegal on the federal level. So a Californian where betting is legal illegal can't place a bet at a Colorado sports book. But as we've seen, the intrastate betting is just exploding. But I mean, does it even matter about betting 
on a in a Colorado sports book if you can still bet on the Colorado game in your California sports book. I'm, I feel like I'm using these words wrong. No, I'm, I'm with you. So yeah, that that is a key <laughs> distinction. If you're in a state where betting is illegal, um, there's geolocating on all of these sports book apps. So they they police that very aggressively. You can't bet. Um, in a state that's legal through an uh, uh, operator uh, where it is legal. So that's why um, you know, there's, there's so much pressure on states that haven't legalized to um, join the bandwagon. And uh, you know, there's been several states this year that are legalizing, and uh, the projection is that that's going to continue. Are you a better, by the way? You know, I think my dear mother uh, might be listening, so I'm going <laughs> to not comment on that one. <laughs> He's like, I just know right, well, a lot about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so look, so here, here's why I ask, right? I mean, you're obviously a sports fan. You're knowledgeable about betting. And I guess my question is, do you think gaming, to use the industry term, uh, influences how, changes how fans watch a given sport? Oh, absolutely. Whether you're betting or not. And I think that's a big source of frustration for the, you know, traditional casual sports fan is that uh, betting advertisements are just totally inescapable. Whether you're watching the game, reading about the game, listening to your favorite podcast, uh, you're inundated with betting ads. Um, so, yeah, that that's a it, that's just fundamentally changing how American sports are consumed, whether you're betting or not. The NFL once opposed legalizing sports betting, and now the league has, like, official – this word is so strange to me – sports book partners. So first of all, why why is it called a sports book? And then why did the NFL change its mind on this? So a sports book is just the place that you go to place a bet. Um, that can be a brick-and-mortar retail sports book or places like uh, FanDuel and DraftKings that do most of their business online – um, the, yeah, as you said, the NFL and all the other professional sports leagues and the NCAA were adamantly opposed to legalizing sports betting until that Supreme Court decision. And then very quickly they said, hmm. well, if uh, companies are going to be profiting on our pr- product, we absolutely want a piece of that pie. Hmm. And they've signed extremely lucrative deals with sportsbook operators uh, since 2018. And, th- and they get a cut like the NFL gets a cut. Um, it's not literally a cut. Um, they Sometimes they've tried to impose what they call an integrity fee, which is basically saying <laughs> if we have to make sure there isn't point shaving and other corruption, mm. we ought to get paid for that. But they also have mm. uh, deals to provide their data, you know, their proprietary data to the sports books. And right. uh, there's, uh, the, the teams have individual uh, deals with sports books. So more and more you're seeing like literal... Uh, betting locations in the venues, which is pretty wow. remarkable. Well, so yeah. look, along those right. lines... like they have space in yeah. the stadiums and right. in the arenas. That's right. physical space they can right. run out. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, in, in the D.C. area, every pro sports venue now has a, a on-site sports book uh, where fans can bet during the game. All right, so look, it's not like I'm, you know, purer than the driven snow, but, but do you, and by you I mean, you know, the people you talk to and, and those in your orbit... Do they worry at all about about the corrosive nature of of gambling and sports? I mean, y- you go from Shoeless Joe to to Paul Horning to Pete Rose, 
And there are some really high-profile examples. Yeah, and that's what led to the crackdown in the first place. I think even if we don't yet have uh, a major case of some sort of corruption, and, and, and you had an NFL player who was suspended for the entire season uh, last year for betting on football. So the leagues are definitely policing it aggressively. Mm. But even beyond that, every time nowadays you see uh, a questionable call by the referee, there's just an explosion of, aha, the game is rigged. Uh, there you go. The refs are are betting on the game. Um, so even the the fear or the the suspicion has a corrosive uh, impact. Yeah. Um. Beyond just sort of the corrosive impact for you know like fixing the game and and breaking the law in that way, there's also sort of the social effects of this much gambling. Like you mentioned, the sports books in D.C. There've been some shootings outside of them here. Um, and I wonder what this expansion of gambling in so many places has done to people dealing with gambling-related addictions. Yeah, that that's an inevitability. Um, and, and a lot of people say, you know, imagine if you struggled with gambling and now you basically have a casino in your pocket. Mm -hmm. the, the temptation must mm -hmm. just be devastating. I think one area where that's really pronounced and, and you're seeing a lot of backlash is with some of these sports books that advertise, they have marketing deals with colleges. And there's some mm. data su to suggest wow. that younger people struggle with gambling problems more than older adults. So that just magnifies uh, why that's so controversial. Are states like getting a tax windfall from all of this when they sign on? Yeah, I mean, that's clearly the biggest driver for why they've um, changed course and started legalizing. Some of the tax revenue has failed to meet expectations, and we'll see how that impacts mm -hmm. the business and also the tax rates. Um, but yeah, that that's certainly top of mind for any lawmaker who's uh, decided to, mm -hmm. to allow this in their state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right, Danny Fund, editor at The Week magazine and a freelance sports journalist. Now I fully understand what sports book means, and I feel a lot smarter. Thank you. <laughs> Danny, thanks a lot. Thanks so much. There you go. This is one of those where I learned something. I didn't, I didn't know. I learned quite gaming a Gaming establishments had slots in stadiums and all that jazz. That's, I don't know. Yeah, I was down at Capital One uh, Arena, oh, which is the, the yeah. hockey slash bas basketball stadium here for a, a media tour a while back. And they were showing like it's got a big it's nice looking, too. It's got like really good chairs and it's like a section you can only go into if you're doing that. Wow. And um, when I was in Vegas for a convention a while back, there was like a whole section of Caesar's Palace dedicated to it that was super elaborate. And um, yeah. Wow, it's it's a lot. Mm -hmm. are, are you are you? Do you like to I am not. place a friendly I, I am, wager am, on the game? I am not. I am a terrible gambler. I don't enjoy it. I don't like Las Vegas. I don't. It's not my gig. And and so be it. You know. So you know when to hold them and know when to fold them. You know when. To I, I just never. I never get the stop it. I just never get the hand to cards. <laughs> you never count your money when you're sitting at the table, Kimberly. All right, anyway. You really don't. There'll be time enough to count them when the <sighs> one's done.
You know it's okay, done now. Okay, now real yes. quick before we go to the break, I know we've been having fun with this, um, but we did want to let folks know that if you or someone you know is struggling with a gambling disorder. The National Gambling Hotline is available 24-7. That number is 1-800-522-4700. We're also going to add a list of resources to our show page. And once again, that number is 1-800-522-4700. And we will be right back. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. All right, time for the news fix. I'm so intrigued by item one here on your list. Yes, uh, it's funny because I am not watching, despite many, many recommendations Same. from many, many people, The Last of Us. Um, on HBO, and I imagine you and I are watching for the same reason, because we're cowards when yes, it comes to zombie yes, movies. <laughs> yes, and I'm fine with that. I'm being shamed by my own family. My wife and my kids are shaming me, and I'm like, no, I'm not watching. I I get terrible nightmares every time I watch anything zombie-related, and I'm, I'm really torn because everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's so good, it's so well-produced, and I'm like, but is it worth the nightmares? Anyway, my story about The Last of Us, which I haven't seen, is that there was this big to-do about how it's such a good show and it's so popular. They're mm. going right up against the Super Bowl and that they were, their episode was going to drop oh, wow. you know, the same time as the Super Bowl because that was the regular schedule. Um, but now it turns out that, according to E! News and elsewhere, The Last of Us will not uh, be coming out at the mm. same time as the Super Bowl. They're actually going to make the next episode available two days early. Oh, wow. uh, Just to get, to not have to compete with the Super Bowl, but it will still air at the same time in, like, the HBO lineup on cable, though I'm sure just by everybody streaming it at this point. But anyway, it's going to be uh, coming out two days early, so they're not up against the Super Bowl. Um, huh. Apparently, the, the show's already been renewed for a second yeah. season. After becoming, quote, sec- HBO's second largest debut ever, 
falling just behind the Game of Thrones prequel House of Dragons. Um, but he is saying that there's little chance it could actually compete with football's big yeah, game. Yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. It's supposed to be really, yes. really good, but I'm still not watching it. I don't know. I, I may have to give into this. I mean, I still want to watch. I, I wish I could watch The Walking Dead because I've heard really good things about that as well. Again, but zombies. Again, I'm afraid it's zombies, yes. man. And I think what bothers me the most about zombies is of all the sort of like mythical, fictional sort of horror movie tropes, it's the one that feels the most realistic that it could actually like legit happen. Um, this idea of like some sort of disease or whatever that makes people do zombie-ish things. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it yeah, bothers me no. a great deal. Yeah, same, 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 uh, same, same, same. same. So why don't you do yours, and then I have a second right. one. Uh, so I don't want to be all dorky and everything, but there was a, an yes, interview. You do. No, no, I really don't, and here's why. So <laughs> Jay Powell, the chairman of the Fed, as you know, uh, there was a meeting last week. The Fed announced an interest rate increase, blah, blah, blah. There were questions from the Washington Press Corps, the Federal Reserve Press Corps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was covered everywhere. Today, Powell did a sit-down with the head of the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. His name is David Rubenstein. He's a bazillionaire. Uh, but he does these sit-downs with Powell, like probably, it's like twice a week, twice a year maybe, maybe it's once a year. Anyway, always super interesting. I especially recommend this one because, number one, it's reasonably short. It's like a half an hour. Number two, Rubenstein's style, and I don't know if it's Rubenstein or Rubenstein. Anyway, his style is really well suited to this environment, just chit-chatting with Powell. Powell knows him. He's comfortable with him. And it's a really good explanation of what Powell's trying to do. What's going on in the economy? A little bit behind the scenes of the Fed. Powell is humanized. Rubenstein is asking good questions. It's really interesting. They will uh, put it out on a podcast, and you can you can listen to it while like you're doing the dishes or something. We'll get it on the show page when we can. But it's super interesting in a not at all geeky kind of way, and and that's why I'm recommending it. All right, I'll go and look at that. Okay, yeah, um, it's good. Well, while we're recommending things, I'm going to recommend, even though I know it's. Um, challenging to find these days is every so often it's worth picking up a paper newspaper um, for a variety of reasons, but also because of sort of the serendipity of news. Um, I feel like I stumble across stories in the paper version of the newspaper mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that I would mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. find you know, on the internet, either because it's not curated or it's not going to drive clicks, but it's still really interesting. So I was at my uncle's house this weekend and he had sitting on his dining room table a newspaper that his, you know, recently departed husband had delivered from his hometown in Maine oh, wow. that they get in Maryland, right? And so he's still getting it. But in this um, newspaper was an article called, um, you know, the obliga obligatory tomato, <laughs> which oh, wow. is about how all gardeners kind of grow tomatoes, whether you really like them or not, because it's just the thing that gardeners do, and how this is the time of year that all gardeners really want to be like starting seeds indoors, and it's just too early in most places, mm -hmm. and you have to fight that urge. And I have I felt so very seen 
and targeted <laughs> by that article. Um, so we'll share it in the show notes. But the actual link that I put in was a story that I came across in the Washington Post. And I was chuckling with Juan Carlos before the show because I had it in front of me in the newspaper, but I couldn't find it on the website for the longest. Oh, because man. it's yeah. just, I guess it's not ranked up as high. But anyway, it's a story about something that has become near and dear to my heart over the last couple of weeks, which is the Buy Nothing Group. I have been, as Kai knows, in this massive decluttering effort over the last couple of weeks, and I have been posting unbelievable numbers of things on the local Buy Nothing Group. And it's this big article about how it's astonishing the things that people will take when they're free and sort of the culture of these buy nothing groups where there's no expectation of barter, there's no expectation of money exchange or anything. It's people just giving stuff away and how astonishing it is, like the stuff that people will take. And I've been really surprised at things that I was ready to chuck in the garbage. And someone's like, oh, no, I want to do a project with that. Or, yeah, I will totally take your rusted Mm -hmm. iron teapot because I want to, like, redo it and I love it. Or I needed a Swiffer anyway and rather than buy one from the store and generate extra plastic, I'll take yours. And, you know, it's it's kind of cool. Um, and anyway, it was a really interesting article uh, looking at buy nothing groups. That's excellent. That's, That's really good. good. And yeah. sustainable and all that good stuff. That's very cool. Yes. Okay. Uh, those are the news fixes. Let us do the mailbag. Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. Okay, yesterday we asked you to let us know what you thought about Biden skipping the State of the Union speech. Tanya in California emailed us saying she watches every year and used to make a drinking game yeah. out of it, uh, but says she feels a little too old for that now. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, too old, yeah. All right, and also Dominic wrote in and says, quote, this is the email, I thought you might like to know that in 1801, President Thomas Jefferson broke with the tradition of delivering the State of the Union orally that was set by George Washington, and every president afterward followed his example until Woodrow Wilson resumed the oral presentation of the State of the Union in 1913. Among the I many, did not know that. Among the many bad things that Woodrow Wilson did, that was one of them. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Uh, Ray in Oregon. Here. Last week I heard Kai mention tiddlywinks. Yeah, buddy. And I thought to myself, I have not heard that word in a very long time. Then I also thought to myself, this is the information age. I wonder what Wikipedia has to say about <laughs> oh, tiddlywinks. Yeah, so idea. I took a look. The wiki entry for tiddlywinks was huge, and I found out the game is over 100 years old. Mm, what on. an amazing world we live in. Tiddlywinks. Sorry, I'm doing it now, real time. I'm about to. There you go. I Game keep planner. thinking of. Wow, um, look at that. Tiddly Winks. All right, so wait. So. I keep thinking of that. Um, that Sharon. What is it? The Sharon Lois and Brand Elephant Show um, song. I don't know. Um, oh, God. It's. So, first of all, I did not know that this was an actual uh, game. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking at this now. I pl- I I'm dating one. myself. I played Tiddlywinks as a kid. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Okay. No, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. There are, there are, look, there are many 
things mm. that would age any of us. So yes, it's all that right. Is true. And anyway. and what is old is will always become new again. It's true. You might be the cause of the resurgence of right. tiddling wings. Right. Although I'm sure the that the Gen page. Zers would come for a different uh, would come <sighs> up with a different term for it. Yes. And then it would be a young thing like they're bringing back accordion headbands like the which I'm I'm I don't know why what? and 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 it it's this type remember when um, I guess it was like the early 2000s, those headbands that were like stretchy and they were kind of zigzaggy. Yes, I do. Um, yes. They're so apparently back? those are they're they're coming back along with God help us all low rise jeans. Um, <laughs> and um, which I don't know, given everything that womankind did to move past that phase. Why? Why, why anyone is it voluntarily back? go back? Oh, my goodness. Anywho, before we go, we are going to leave you with this week's answer to the make me smart question, which is what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? This is Kevin Fritz from Charlotte, North Carolina. Something I thought I knew and later found out I was wrong about is that the only non-alcoholic beer available are the macro lagers that have been around for decades. Hmm. I recently discovered that there are a bunch of non-alcoholic craft beers available as well. Some are so good, you can't even tell that they're non-alcoholic. I find them great for rehydrating after a bike ride, relaxing at the end of a long day while still being sharp to play with my kids, and bringing to social events that you have to drive to. Between established Mm. brands and startups dedicated to non-alcoholic craft beer, there are a lot of good options out there worth trying. Happy tasting. Cheers. Yeah, that is definitely true. There are lots of options, craft and otherwise. That That is for sure true. You betcha. Actually, one of the things that I got on the Buy Nothing group last week were three cases of a non-alcoholic beer that I wanted to try because I guess whoever had them didn't like them. Um, but I've got them sitting downstairs and I go. need to uh, chill them and 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 try them. Um, but it's from a local brewer, uh, one oh, of the cool. local um, craft breweries. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do the yeah, beer thing and, and it attempt it. Yeah, I will. I will report back. But Kevin, uh, send us your recommendations uh, specifically of which ones you like as well. We gotta add, maybe we need to make a list or something of all of our yeah. fave non-alcoholic. Uh, what did we land on? Well, we um, we we disagree. You landed on Cleverage, and I landed on uh, Zero Proof Cocktails. I I have. I don't feel like I've landed on anything yet. Right. I like okay. Cleverage because I just think it's cute, but I don't know that it's what I would say in public. So I'm still right. I'm still processing okay Okay. uh yeah so if there's something that you've been wrong about lately we want to know send us your answer to the make me smart question our number is 508-827-6278 also known as 508 you be smart Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado with mixing by Charlton Thorpe. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our acting senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on-demand. The marketplace vice president and general manager is Neil Scarborough. There you have it. All right. Maybe I'll try the non-alcoholic beer for economics on tap this week. There you go.
We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.